of Spin Doctors, The Flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doin' Time Show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855am on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. I'm Marissa and I'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. Coming, on up, coming up on the show, we're going to be speaking presently with Marianne McKay and we're going to be speaking about a native title settlement that was registered three years ago. And it was, it's in Western Australia. It was, it's a Noongar, um, native title settlement. Now, native title is a very interesting and controversial topic. And it's always good to get the perspective of Aboriginal elders because sometimes Aboriginal elders, not all Aboriginal elders and clans are represented. And there's always a lot of, a lot of problems, um, when there is colonization of a country, in this case Australia. So we'll be speaking with her shortly about that and apparently this is the largest native entitlement title, settlement in Australia apparently has been officially accepted for registration and the deal, deal was struck to resolve claims in the state's southwest. So the key points for the interview, it's um, about the settlement it incorporates six claims covering an area from Jurai to Ravensthorpe and the deal was signed in 2015 but has taken three years to be registered as I said. Last year it overcame a challenge in the federal court. The step formalises a land use agreement between Noongar people and the West Australian government and covers an area, um, as I said, from Jurai in the north to Ravensthorpe in the south. Six Indigenous land use agreements uh, apparently covering 200,000 square kilometres of land, were formally accepted for incorporation by the Native Title Registrar. But I'd like to talk to Marianne because Marianne has always been extremely um, inspirational. Um, she's got, done a lot of really amazing work and she's been on our show quite a few times and we've done some extensive work with her. Um, and she always ta- gives, gives really um, interesting and accurate perspectives on things. So, yeah, we'll speak to her, and then before we go to her interview, just to let, let you guys, let their listeners know that we're going to be speaking after that with Brett Collins from Justice Action. And Brett is going to be attending a future prisons conference, and he'll be speaking on a panel there. So we'll be speaking with him about that, and also speaking with him about mental health issues and how important it is for people that are, that are hospitalised um, not to be force-fed medication. And we're going to be looking at people um, having phones inside the hospital and um, and cell phones and stuff like that. But coming on now to Marianne. Hello, Marianne. Welcome to the program. Hey, Claire, sis. Thanks for having me on again. <laughs> oh, good. I thought I'd let you make a grand entrance and, um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and introduce this whole topic properly because people need to know the background, don't they? No, that's right. And first of all, I just want to pay my respects to all the elders past, present and future right around, you know, all of our nations um, within this country. Um, and, you know, and especially my own ear, um, which are in like a state of mourning at the moment, I suppose. 
That's right. And it definitely yeah. a state of mourning. In, in what sense? Well, what's really annoying, like I haven't seen any of the media coverage. I won't watch none of it. I yep. haven't read any of it. I don't know what's being said out there and I really don't care because yep. it doesn't concern us, you know. But um, Noongar Nation, as a nation, um, are mourning. You know, like there's so many people speaking out against this. We didn't agree on this as a nation. A group of people that worked for the Southwest Aboriginal Land and Sea Council struck a deal behind closed doors with the government and the whole process was fraudulent and we're going to prove that. So um, even though I can't talk about strategies and that, no. um, we've got a group in place and what we've been calling out for is support for legal fees because we're going to mount, you know, a challenge in the federal court and maybe the high court um, and fight this. And, you know, like with the with the evidence that we have and the fraudulent process, um, I'm feeling really positive, you know, on a positive win for our people that goes the way that we want it to go, not what the Land Council and the government want because we didn't approve any of this and all the authorisation meetings where they had all their yes votes were all fraudulent. You know, you had people signing away country that they don't even come from, you know, or have bloodline connections or have the authority. You know, people signing Indigenous land use agreements that don't have the permission to speak for the people of those areas. And all cultural protocols were, fo you know, weren't followed. And in my heart, these people should be punished under our law. You know, I just, I don't understand why um, they can get away with this and we're just kept out because they blocked us out of Parliament. And when I spoke to one of the um, monarchs there, what we call police officers, um, he said to me, Marianne, specific instructions were you are not to be let in Parliament because they don't want a breach of the peace. And I said to him, but what lawful authority are you going by? Because this is the most important day of our life and you're keeping all of us no voters out. Like, that's not fair. That's not a democratic process. That's not the process under our culture, you know. And he's like, look, come on, you know, we always support you. And I said to the officer, I know you do. That's why I'm talking nice to you. I said, but you need to go and tell Tony there, the head of security, to go and talk to Parliament and ask why I'm not allowed to in there or any of these other mob aren't allowed to in there. And they wouldn't. They just, you know, they wouldn't even budge or do anything. And so you had all these people going into Parliament, a lot of who don't even carry cultural knowledge in the first place, you know, and a lot that don't even have the authority to sign away our rights, and yet they were allowed in there before us on the ground. Like half of them don't even engage in the cultural practices to have a new identity. They assimilated, and that's not their own fault. You know what I mean? Some of them it is. But a lot of them, it's not. It's a, you know, product of colonisation. But it's not fair that we have to be punished because of their treatment growing up through the system. That's not our fault, you know? Mm. And it's not our fault. Like, I'm going to get emotional, Marissa, because yeah. I like, like, I love our culture. I love yeah. going out yeah. and doing what our girls do, you know? And, you know, 90% of them people don't even do anything to protect country or to protect our culture or to honour our old people and our ancestors and that they making decisions on our lives. And that's not fair. So really it's it's about the fact that people the the people that are representing are not the right people. Nah. Nah. And that's why the government dealt with them because they yes voters, they Jackie Jackies. You How know? Did the and they'll do anything that the government wants to line their own pockets. They don't care about their people. How did the they government come to that culture. decision? How did the government come to that decision? By bullying. 
Yeah. By bullying, um, by ignorance, by discrimination, by discriminating against us that were outspoken about the deal. Um, they gagged us from the media. Um, all of us no voters, which is the majority of Noongar Nation, are against this deal. And I can tell you that from experience from our Southwest tour when we travelled around Noongar country and we held meetings on the ground with people. You know, they um, they rigged things. The whole process was fraudulent. And they turned around and they had the media, you know, um, put it out there that the Noongar people were positive about this. You know, the deal was going ahead. They made it all, sugar-coated it all and made it look like this fantastic deal. And they never gave us the even media coverage like with the Recognise campaign. How that's we were all shut down because we voted no. Well, that's why you're here. Because yeah, that's right. This is media. Yeah. This is yeah. media. Yeah, and these are the, the main ones that have given us a voice. You yeah. know what I mean? Use and Koori Radio there, you know, yeah. and um, Noongar Radio since um, Wayne Binder left, who was the old CEO, they even shut us down from our own Noongar Radio for about two, three years. They had a, a CEO in there that was a yes voter for the Land Council and he wouldn't play any of our community events. They breached the code. Um, you know, the code of conduct, and we made that many complaints, and all those complaints to the, the media board for Australia were just swept under the carpet and ignored. And Noongar Radio got away with um, blocking our voices out to community for like two to three years. And then a couple of years ago, the community had enough, and strong leaders stood up and took back charge of Noongar Radio. And it's back to where it should have been at the onset of Colin Barnett, the ex-premier's announcement at Kings Park. They shut us down everywhere. My, um, you know, social media campaigns, we were constantly blocked. Our Facebook pages, you know, our personal pages, um, our laptops and our phones were all tapped into. They were, um, what's that word? Like they were disconnected, like they yeah. shut them down blocked. and made them where we couldn't even work them. Yeah. See, this, and we this... lost a lot of documents. They even raided our embassy Who's and took they? all of our paperwork. The state government. They sent the police. Colin Barnett, our ex-premier, gave the call to the police commissioner to send the troops down, the police. Or he says, half of what we went through at the embassy was not put on the media. They terrorised us down there. And they, you know, pushed into our elders. You know, they took people's wheelchairs. They, they made me get up out of a chair when I was breastfeeding or they were going to arrest me um, when I had my daughter on my boob, you know. They took our laptop. They took our um, um, box that had all of our paperwork. We had petitions signed that had more signatures than the Land Council's memberships, and we don't know where them petitions are gone. They took everything from us, and we couldn't even lodge them petitions. We couldn't even do nothing. They took everything and stripped and robbed us of everything, and that's why Noongar 10 Embassy had to close because they terrorised the hearts and minds of our people. I'm not and surprised. And they didn't want to go through that. I'm not surprised. And we had cases, sis, put up to the Triple C, which is the West Australian's Crime and Corruption Commission, and we had cases put up there, and we don't know what happened to them cases because we we got evidence, video footage, everything to prove what they'd done to us, and all of a sudden those cases were swept under the carpet. We don't even know what happened, and we just don't have the time to follow it up because they're keeping us busy doing everything else.
So it's all about infiltration and witch hunting, yes. isn't it? Yep. So yep. Mir- and Mir- they shut us down and they yeah. bullied the crap out of us. Me, when we were in Katanning for one of the authorisation meetings, one of the so-called elders who should carry cultural knowledge stood up and said, I'm not happy with the spear in the room and the emu feathers on the headband. And I looked around for a spear because I think, have you got a spear? Yeah. Like, where these mans are, you know? Where, where's a spear? And I realised she was talking about me was my one end. Now, what? one end is a double-ended protection stick for a woman. The bottom one, the bottom end is the digging stick. The top end is the spear-like end for when you're hunting out in the bush. You know, you want birds or yeah. small animals, right? The top end, because I'm in the city with my one end, I didn't sharpen it sharp enough to be like a spear. I kept it blunt no, no. because all I needed it for in my area was digging. It's you know, because the boys go and get the meat, you know. Yeah, and so next minute, I realised she was talking to me, and I said, "You're talking about my one end. This not a spear. Who do you think you are? You don't even know our culture, and you call yourself an elder. A woman don't have spear. Oh my goodness! This is a one end, and you're standing up there and uncomfortable about the emu feathers." The emu feathers, I earned my authority to wear these on my headband. So I don't know about you, old girl. And that was it. The whole, there was about 400 of us. The whole thing, the whole meeting just shut down. All my family rushed right around me to protect me because I went there on my own from Perth, but I had all my family from down south, you know. All my Williams family and my Penny family and that, my Eads family. Next minute, the security come up, sis, and he was trying to stand over me and he's saying, you need to calm down, otherwise you're going to leave. I said, hey. Who do you think you are? You don't go coming in. We're dealing with cultural business. You need to get out of my face. And we had a biggest <laughs> argument going, yeah. And that's when one of my brother boys, he's big boy, boy, he's my brother boy, you know. We're not related by blood, but we grew up together as brother and sister, you know. And he's a big boy, and he stood straight up, and he was like, hey, you're not touching my sister. Get away from her now. And he's uh, gunned himself. <laughs> but see, then. this all and of he's this, himself. All of see, this, this is, is what bit... we went through. Yeah. All the bullying, man, like... Oh, my God, it's and crazy. elders and all, self-appointed elders talking down to me. Yet, if my elders was there, they sat tight and never said nothing. And when my father would walk into the room, another time here, we had another authorization meeting. I had my one end. One of the swells, the land council workers, comes out and says, sorry, Mary Ann, you can't come in here with that. And I'm like, with what? And she said, you're one end. And I said, I'll go away. Are we having a cultural meeting here or what? We all assimilated. I can't bring my one end. She's like, no. I said, you go and get my elders. Go and get my elders in that meeting and you tell them to come out here. You ask them to come out here. We're going to, my elders. So she goes, yep, all right, we'll ask the elders for permission, thinking she's going to have the backup. My elders come out. Nah, go away. Mary Ann's not going to hurt no one with that. Let her come in with the stick. She said, no. So See, this land true. council worker ignored the elders, right? And because she worked for the land council, she bullied me into like not coming in with my stick. And I wasn't allowed to leave my stick. No one was allowed to touch it. So what I had to do was ring my brother boy. I was like, brother boy, where's your car? I had to grab all material. I had to wrap my stick up. And then I had to put it underneath the car and like lodge it in there because no one allowed to touch it or I'll get in trouble. You know? This is crazy. So, like it's, it sounds to me like this is about assimilation and in- institutionalization. Marianne, what would be really useful at this point if you could? Because a lot of, I'm sure that a lot of listeners don't really know much about this, this so-called deal. Can you talk about the deal and why you don't agree with it? Why you and your elders don't agree with it? Talk, give us some well, background. Yeah, for a start, for a start, right? Newark country has over 20 million hectares of land and they want to give us 325,000 of it. 
Right. So that's just one thing. Yes. Um, they want to co-manage all national parks, and we already do that. So I don't understand how that's a benefit. Um, they want to give us over 120 houses, um, and these are all houses we already own through Aboriginal Lands Trust, and they're all dilapidated and crap, need to be knocked down and renovated or refurbished. Um, they want to have six region, six corporations where $10 million is, um, you know, run through the corporations each year. Um, they want to put um, half, a mil- uh, half a billion dollars into a trust account and that'll accumulate over a billion dollars within the next 12 years. So we don't get $1.3 billion. They uh, It's an investment account and it accumulates. So they don't give us $1.3 billion in our in our bank account. And the money that gets um, put through to the regional, to the corporations, um, is run through a trust account which is managed by white people and government. And the bank that they chose is the ANZ, and the ANZ just got in trouble for rotting their own clients. Yeah. Um, you know, like there's no cultural aspect to the deal at all. Um, everything is to do with um, creating regional and city corporations, um, and basically just like an ATSIC. Um, an oh, ATSIC in return for the surrender of our legal rights to our lands. That's crazy. And it's, it's interesting here, I've got here a quote. Marianne, I want to I want to see what you think of this from the um, sorry. Let me just have a look at who it's from. The the quote from the Aboriginal minister. Um, oh my ab- God, are you talking about Ben Wyatt? I want to <laughs> read out this quote. I want to see what you think of this. You're going to go off, but Aboriginal Affairs Minister Ben Wyatt said the deal would be one of the most, if not the most, significant native title settlements in Australia's history. I think it's as close as we've come in Australia to a treaty between a group of traditional owners and a government. He said. Oh, my God, he's so full of crap. Ben Wyatt's a little peckerhead. Like, he's one of those scared little boys that'll stand back in the crowd if anything's going on. Another Tony Abbott. Oh, my God. So what what do you think of that quote? Oh, he's he's a treasurer. And, you know, his um, um, background is in financial management and stuff like that. So I'm not surprised he's speaking from an economic point of view as far as I'm concerned. Significant to them because they ripped us off and give us chicken feed for all of our land. You know, they got the cheapest land deal in history. This is the biggest land swindle in the world, man. I like, get it. straight out. Yeah, that's what my elders call it, the biggest land swindle in Australia. So because what, it is. What would you be... Uh, don't discuss strategy. Obviously, we've got that's confidentiality. Yep. But what, what would be good for you and the elders? Um, give our land back. You know, give us total control of it, and then we can develop, you know, MOUs with each of their government departments on how they use it. And who runs the trust? Um, there's the perpetual government, trust. government people and um, the representatives of the land council and um, different organisations. So you you come from the you're a Noongar woman, and, yep. and you you come from that land. Yep, my bloodline runs through all the 14 nations on Yungar country um, and yeah, all this Perth metro, um, this area is my direct bloodline that I grew up on. You call it Wajak country, but it's really called Wajari. That's the people. Wajari, it's not Wajak, it's thank Wajari. you. And how do you yeah, spell Wajari. that? How do you spell that? I, it's, um, well, you could spell it either, you know, so you could have Wa because it's Wa. So you could have um what? T D J I R I or something. Wajari. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Or W I T J A R I. Wajari. Wajari. Beautiful. Yeah. But that's what we really are. We're not Wajak because Wajak means belonging to no one. 
<laughs> oh, that's yeah, really right? interesting. It's approximately mm. 4.19 and you're listening to an interview on the Do and Time show with Marianne McKay. And if people have just tuned into this, um, do listen to the podcast because it's a very, very important interview with Marianne McKay. So anyway, Marianne, look, it's crazy. It's I'm hoping that, that you and your elders can go through the federal court. Oh, we're going to get there, sis, oi. We're going to get there because our old people are not going to lay down in spirit and allow these mob to do what they've done. And we're going to fight with everything, and I mean fight with everything. We're not going to... Anything we've ever done in the past is going to compare to nothing that's coming. Hang on, they spelt it wrong. They spelt it J-U-R-I. What's that? The, you, you just spelt it a different way. Yeah, because it's our language not written, see? Why don't they write it out properly? I don't know. Mm. I don't know. But we really Wajari, not Wajuk. They need to get their facts right, yeah. So I'm hoping that we'll be able to hear more about this, and I want to wish you the very best with, with the, whole, the whole scenario, really, because uh, these claims seem fraudulent. Oh, they are. And the whole process was fraudulent. Like, one thing that I want to let everyone know is this started, right, we won our native title in, in the court, even though I don't support native title, but whatever, our yeah. elders done, whatever, you Fair know. Enough. Who am I to question them, you know? Yeah. Anyways, so what happened was Justice Wilcox made a determination and said we still have all of our cultural and spiritual rights to our land. But what he couldn't make a determination on was the issue of extinguishment. And his exact words were, I cannot make a determination on the issue of extinguishment. That is for the WA government and the Noongar people to mediate. And you know what, sis? They never mediated with us. Glenn Kelly, right, who was the old CEO of the Land Council, and all these cronies in the Land Council, they went and made all these yellow maps with little black dots that people can find on the website, on their website. And he went and go tell everyone, here, here, look, you mob. If we go back to court, our land rights here are all extinguished and we'll only get these little black dots. And that is crap, sis. Because mm. if we would have went back to court, we would have had a chance of winning and having our case chucked out. The WA government could have been giving us compensation for years because we could have showed, hang on, we, where are you saying, how come you can't make an, a determination on extinguishment? Do we still have legal rights to that land that you aren't telling us? What lawful authority do you occupy these lands with? Like the government, um, swallowed the land council could have taken it back to court. But they told our old people, like all of our elders and that, that if we went back to court, we would only get those little black dots or we would get nothing at all. And that was a lie, oh. straight out lie. So the whole process was fraudulent right from the very start. And we tried to tell all our people that, but the government had their bullies come in and our elders were bullied and everything. The amount, I wish we could have recorded some of those meetings, but we weren't allowed to take our phones in there. But you had elders being bullied by young people and people who who were of the generation of their sons and daughters. And they had no support and no backup because everyone was shut down and it was disgusting, disgusting. the type of behaviours that they used. And I'm you ashamed. It's shame. So you weren't allowed into the parliament, and when was that? That was last week, and what Wednesday were they, and Thursday. And what were they doing in the parliament? Um, they were all celebrating the victory of the signing of the Ilyas. And why weren't you allowed in there, given that you're a Noongar woman? Because they said they didn't want a breach of the peace from Mary Ann McKay. A breach of the peace, come on. Yeah, and it's like a breach of the peace. I even said to him, what if I give you my word, because I value my word, 
because that's what my father taught me. No one can take your word from you. That's yeah. the only thing that they can't take away from you is that's your right. word, so you honour and value it. So that's where I walk, and that's why I always promise my people you, my honesty and my truth. I've got nothing to hide. I'll be open and transparent forever, you know? And so I said to him, what if I give you my word? I'll give you my word that I won't kick up, I won't say nothing. I just want to be in there to witness what you are doing to my people and my land and our futures. And what you know, say? and he said, no. Nah. He said, Marianne, no. Nah. They specifically said no. no. That is terrible, Marianne. Like, that that just shows, doesn't it? Even my dad, sis. They told my dad, no, he's a protester. He's not allowed to come in. Oh. And my dad don't protest. I don't like, think it's got anything to do with being a protester. I think it's got to do with the fact that you know your facts and um, they've got a lot to hide. And yes. And that they were worried about what you were going to say. Yeah, no, that's right. And the media was all there, you know, but I didn't want nothing to do with the media. I was just like, nah, go on, you fellas right. You just want to chase them, you chase them. Yeah, no, this, this is not good. No. Marianne, I want to wish you the very best and for you and your family and, and the elders, and I'm hoping that, that you you really get organ- you guys really get organised and start um, taking them to court. Yeah, no, no worries, I will. And, I mean, we're still trying to organise a bank account for um, donations, you know, for legal fees. Okay. So I did a video on Facebook a couple of days ago. Um, and it's just been overwhelming, the support Good. that we've had, you know. Um, and so I just wanted to let everyone know we are trying to raise legal fees to mount a challenge. Um, and we're just trying to sort out bank account details. But if people can't wait for bank account details, I'm happy to give them an account that I don't use. And I can print off all the paperwork and everything to keep it all open and transparent. You know? do, do you want to do that on Facebook? Or, or... Yeah, I can do yeah. that on Facebook. If people can just message me, yes. um, you know, Marianne Yorgabilia McKay. Um, and they can also go to um, one of our sister girls has a page called Nunga Not For Sale. So N-O-O-N-G-A-R, Not For Sale as well. And you can find the link on my page as well. That's fantastic. Well, we'll talk off air about that. We'll see if we can help here in, in Victoria. Yeah, all right. No worries. Thanks, sis. Thanks a lot, sis. And thanks, everybody. Thank you. Okay. All the best. Yeah, Bye. thanks, sis. Take care. Bye. And that was Marianne McKay speaking about a recent Nunga native title settlement and speaking about a lot of very very interesting issues um, yeah the mind boggles doesn't it when you've got byproducts of colonisation The National Sustainable Living Festival is Australia's flagship sustainability event and applications are now open for the event in February 2019 To celebrate its 20 years, SLF is calling all changemakers, presenters, artists, performers and creatives to submit their applications for the biggest disruption yet. There's never been a more vital time to get involved in this important festival. Apply now. Go to slf.org.au. A 3CR supporter. And you're back with the Doing Time show. And we're going to be speaking now with Brett Collins um, from Justice Action. And as I said at the beginning of the show, it's in regards to a conference that he's going to be attending. I believe it's called um, Prison Futures. Future. We'll, I'll get the correct, um, the correct analogy then. And we're also going to be speaking about enforced medications for mentally um, for people with mental health issues um, in hospitals and 
about having their phones in. We're just going to be basically talking about all the work that Justice Action has been doing and is continuing to do. Hello, Brett. Welcome to the program. Yes, good day, good day. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we're so busy. Gee, gee, gee. Is this you, Marissa? <laughs> I'm sorry? Is that Marissa? Yeah, this is Marissa. Yeah, we're... good on you. Excellent, excellent. You've been pretty well, busy with Justice Action, isn't it? Good on you, absolutely, absolutely. Can you hear well, me, Brett? Yes, I can. I can good, hear good, you Good, well. good, good. So tell us what's been going on with, um, tell us about the conference you're going to be attending. Well, it's a fascinating conference. They talk about future prisons, right? Third annual uh, conference future of future prisons. prisons. And, yep. you know, they talk about planning and delivering facilities that provide safety, security, and, re- and reduce recidivism rates. <laughs> okay, so, um, and they have all these um, uh, uh, privatised uh, companies, like uh, people like Serco and, uh, and um, GEO and G4S, you know, all these private companies who are multinationals who, who are um, uh, uh, taking the money that should otherwise go to ensuring people who are in prisons get proper services and and out in the community they take them um, for all new prisons you know and they talk about future prisons more prisons um you yeah. know more locking people away from their families and it's it's a big industry and a lot of people very excited about uh, getting their noses in the trough it's pretty and so who's running that yeah, it is. Look, it's amazing. I mean, you think about the amount of money they spend putting people in jail. It's about a, about a hundred thousand dollars for for each person, and some um, and for for anybody uh, who's under eighteen, you know, the juvenile justice area, that is even better. Better inverted commas. Um, you know, they they spend over half a million dollars per kid inside each every institution so this is major money and um, and so you know all these major companies the multinationals are, 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 are trying to uh, ensure that uh, uh, they take as much as they can of the pie and, and of course um, it's in the interest to make sure that you know that there's more fear more crime more you know, all the things that you know the average citizen wants not to happen these multinationals would prefer happens that's crazy, isn't it? So you're going to be speaking on the panel, and who's running this conference, Brett? Well, look, it's run, they have these people um, who organise conferences, and quite honestly, they're just people who are just, uh, you know, just conference makers, right? So, you know, they wherever the money is, they follow that, um, and uh, I think probably each person uh, to attend the conference is probably paying about, I'd say, $3,000, that sort of money for them to attend. Might That's even a be lot. More. Yeah, imagine, uh, you know, amazing money. Um, so, you know, this is a, a chance for them all to talk to each other, a um, chance to, you know, um, talk to, uh, um, uh, talk to people who can supply certain services and, and, um, and get the right language, uh, to present it. So, so our uh, involvement is actually, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, um, <clears throat> to make sure that the prisoner voice is heard. And so, and we intend to uh, bring the prisoner voice in from the very beginning. So instead of allowing, uh, you know, to be sort of sitting quietly in the corner, that's not the justice action style at all. And our style is, well, we've got some um, 44,000 people out there. 44,000 is the figure at the moment of people um, live in, living in, in um, the prisons and also living in locked hospitals. So that's a you know, very significant um, uh, number of people whose voices aren't heard. So, so our job is to make sure that that gets out there. We want to make sure um, that if we have a chance to be at the conference, that we're not going to be um, sitting in the corner and and um, you know, uh, uh, quietly waiting for um, our chance to speak. That's not what we're going to do at all. I'm really hoping, Brett, that you're not. They don't try and kick you out. Remember last time you went to one of those conferences? I <laughs> wanted you to go. <laughs> oh, well, look, I, I, the the. Um, 
you know, our role is not to be comfortable, is not to um, be quiet and. Uh, That's and, right. Um, uh, yeah, our yeah. job. Our job is to make sure that that voice um, that is silenced is properly heard, and the anguish Absolutely. of people who are sitting inside those cells at the moment is properly heard. And if we didn't do that, then we shouldn't um, we shouldn't take the role we do. So, That's right. so you know, um, and if I'm kicked out, well, um, uh, look, I don't think they will. I don't think they will. And I have a, I have the record, very proud record, of being the man who who's had the longest on any prison roof. Yep. Right here in New South Wales. So, um, you know, if I can uh, sit in the reef for you know four days, uh, then I reckon I can um, uh, hold a place on the in the conference floor without uh, too much difficulty. I think a few um, uh, suits and um, uh, and uh, 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 people who are normally in charge um, will have to get used to listening to what I have to say. And I've got some good things to say. I can of course. You. And when is the conference, Brett? The conference on the it's on the third and. Fourth and fifth of December. So a little way away, about another six weeks away, uh, and it's going to happen there in one of those uh, special uh, hotels that's going to run for well, two days. Yeah. Uh, probably some sort of you know, a, a dinner or something beforehand and that sort of thing. I'll be sitting right in the middle, be handing material out, making sure that uh, that they um, hear the the voice of prisoners and they'll hear it you know, um, loud and and clearly at all stages. So there's nothing that happens that in which we have not an involvement. So we'll make sure that that's the way it'll be heard. That's great. Well, good luck with that. Um, and, Brett, we were talking off air about um, patients experiencing mental, mental health challenges in, in hospitals. Can you talk yes, about that? Right. Yes, that's right. Well, you know, that's interesting stuff too. That's, I mean, that's you know, pretty outrageous actually. We had a we had a meeting with the minister for mental health this this, this last week, and uh, we had a chance to chance to um, um, point out. Um, now, this is <laughs> although this is like New South Wales, it's actually national. It's the same situation um, throughout uh, Australia. Uh, and we uh, uh, we spoke for the um, uh, forensic patients, and the, when the new national mental health commission was set up. The one that um, does, uh, uh, well, was supposed to advise the Prime Minister on mental health. And um, so forensic, as we know, the people who are inside the locked hospitals, um, you know, we, um, we um, made sure that the voices of those people were being heard. And, um, and this was a nice occasion to, to ensure that, um, that the local uh, minister... I also took into account things that are happening here in, in um, inside the locked hospitals. Yeah. So, you know, we um, some key points um, we were able to make, and probably one of the most important things um, was the, um, the things that had followed the death of this woman, Miriam Merton, who died at the Lismore-based hospitals, one of the northern um, areas of, of New South Wales, um, quite a major hospital there, and, and this woman... Um, was um, really distraught. She'd been quite well known to the to the staff there, and she was she was really distraught and, and was um, uh, knocking her head against the against the wall. Um, and so uh, and so uh, they stripped her naked. They um, she ended up um, uh, defecating um, uh, and um, and bleeding. So when she hit against the hit against the wall, she um, bled all over the wall and uh, all over the floor. And so. Uh, and, and she she died, right? She died. But but then uh, what was uh, the most amazing was this: um, there was this nurse who was uh, standing beside her, and the CCTV footage actually caught her mopping nonchalantly mopping the floor whilst this woman was dying. And the um, and uh, a short time later, this woman uh, collapsed, and they uh, then took her out and they said, "Oh," and then told the family, "Oh, but you're most unfortunate, but your your um, your mother died." 
Uh, it was only later when the uh, when the footage came came out, and then um, the uh, one of the uh, commercial uh, television channels then uh, put it up and showed it, and the front page of the of the Daily Telegraph then exposed it, and people went, "Wow, this is a shocking situation." And when, and when did this happen? happen? This happened four years ago, or three years ago, um, but then the, yeah. the, the actual uh, coroner's inquiry only happened towards the end of uh, last year, right. and then it, it caused a major inquiry, and people were saying, well, things have got to change here. So it was an exposure. It was exposure to, um, to everyone, how callous uh, the attitude of, of the, the nurses, the staff, the, everyone was towards mentally ill people. Um, that that was the point, and we actually um, then you know, pushed this very strong in this meeting and said, you know, this this situation has got to change, and you, you can't have people isolated inside these units. The first thing you do is you can't take away their phones. You've got no right to take away people's phones. How could you have a person who's distraught, who who's isolated from their family, who's um, by themselves, and and with with a, a nurse who doesn't care, right? And you know. Um, how could you possibly take that person's phone away? The only person who whom they uh, can ring is their their daughter, their you know, family members, people who love them, you know. And and to then to isolate that person cannot be justified. We said very clearly, and we also said not only that, also um, that she was entitled, she and other people inside these hospitals, are entitled also to have education facilities so they can do other things. They're not sitting there waiting for you know, the you know, the nurse to come along with their medication. They can end up with a whole range of different things and even even different sorts of e-counselling, so outside people, outside services, um, on computers, so they can actually have the yeah. e-counselling and have alternative ways of, of being handled. So, you know, we put those things and, and the minister was listening. Well, let's hope that we get, we get some practical solutions here and that there's, there's more innovative programs that are available. And spend, instead of spending money on, you know, more prisons and, and more of these mental health facilities, let's do programs for them to, to get out. Well, it's, and, and the other point we made, it's also it's important that they're listening to the people themselves inside those hospitals because what, what always happens is they go, oh, well, you know, we, let's hear about them. They're all mad. We don't want to hear from them at all. Well, that's just not true. The reality of it is that, is that you know, some people, everybody um, uh, feels distorted some, some time or other, and the ones who end up in hospitals, they, they after a short time, after they've had a chance to settle down, you know, they're actually just as lucid and able to talk and much more that's able right. to talk about you know, what's important to them so they must be listened to now the group that you're actually um working with to to try and help brett are these mental health people that have got mental health issues or is it also in the criminal justice system or both Look, we, we found it's really both, to be honest. Look, yeah. we, we've found uh, again and again we have cases where you know people have not been charged with offences and they just put, um, they're just taken out um, uh, and uh, put in the hospital. They're you know they yeah. um, you know they their family members so they you know they're um, being disturbing or or you know someone's concerned about them as being you know, well you know they're not doing the same thing as other people are doing. So quite often <clears throat> we have that sort of approach and people are put into um, psychiatric institutions and held there and and forcibly medicated. So that's really wrong, and um, the whole attitude that people have to have to um, be the same as other people um, is wrong, and the law doesn't support that at all. Uh, but then uh, the, another thing, again, is, and also included in our concerns, um, is um, the people who are inside prisons and um, that they are forcibly forcibly medicated, and that's such a wrong thing. Now, if they're if they're um, if they're wanting to uh, take medication, sure, 
fine, that's a different matter. Sure. Um, and, uh, and people should be entitled to you know, have support in different sorts of ways and also should, should um, not have such a miserable life inside jail that they just want to, want to just, uh, you know, opt out and, and zombie on. Uh, they should have something they can do positively. They should have an opportunity for education. Um, you know, they should have the opportunity to develop and do art and music and that sort of thing, which is, is the legal right. right? They, should, should, they should have a, a computer in their cell and have it for themselves, be able to send emails and things like that. That's basic. And, that, and the fact that that hasn't happened yet in, in you know, some states, some states is coming through, but in some states it hasn't happened yet, and that's wrong. People are entitled to not be isolated and to have access to the same services as happened to the general people in the community, as long as it's done in a safe way. And these things are, are secure. They've been, they've been happening now in the ACT for 10 years. Absolutely. And so you're basically, in summary, what Justice Action is doing is negotiating with the Minister for Mental Health to, yes. to improve conditions. Well, yes, and uh, look, really, improved conditions, I'm always worried about that because <laughs> um, improved conditions really mean, means that the people end up still staying inside. inside uh, um, but inside, most you know, of them do, don't know, they? We, well, look, our, our um, uh, task really is to give power to people who are inside the prisons and the hospitals, and so they can actually get their voices out there. They can themselves be engaged in getting, yes. um, becoming... For uh, them to the speak, have a voice, that's right. And, and for, them that- to, for them to have a voice, for the patients to have a voice and to eventually get out. Yeah, absolutely. And then as soon as we've found as soon as people start to feel as though they are being listened to, then they change their attitude and they go, oh, I'm part of the system as well. I'm not, it's not all against me. You know, there are things I can learn, I can contribute, I can also change the, the way I'm behaving as well. I'll, I'll listen to people if they listen to me. That's exactly right. Brett, thanks so much for coming onto the program. Are there any final comments that, that you want to make? Well, Marissa, I mean, look, our job's ongoing. The more we do, the more we need to do, and that's probably that's probably a good thing. But you know, we, you know, we, our job really is to is to make sure that people inside feel that they have a role to play. So we encourage everyone to to bring their, get their voices out there, and and we're looking looking forward to getting people having their computers in their cells and and being able to you know contact, send emails and things like that. That's that's not far away in every state and territory. Um, so, you know, we're looking forward to that happening. And, um, and uh, meantime, people should push push their own local area. You know, they need access to those things for you know, legal purposes, for education, for, you know, for um, rehab services that goes on and on. For sure. And what's the Justice Action website? Justice Action website is www.justiceaction.org.au. And anyone can, they can write letters to us as well, uh, PO Box 386 Broadway. New South Wales, 2007. So PR Box 386, Broadway, um, 2007. And you know, we'll always send people a response. Brett, thanks so much. Keep up the good work. Okay. Thank you, Marissa. Thanks it's a lot. Good. Take See care. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. And that was Brett Collins from Justice Action um, speaking about many, many issues in regards to mental health and negotiating with the mental health minister so that Um, people inside and people in hospitals are not deprived of a voice. 
In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. 3CR's Radical Radio book is now on sale for just $30. You can get your copy of 3CR's book at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy or online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Get a piece of your own history on sale for just $30. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. Help 3CR support the rights of Indigenous Australians. They mean to save our culture and save our dreams, our footprints, dreams, our songline, and keep our culture going strong. Of course, a lot of the Aboriginals, having been stolen, were put into state care, and also others. The recognition were... of what our people have been through in the last 200 years, the recognition of our culture in the last 40,000 years, and the recognition of where we are heading into the future. Welcome to uh, Survival Day, Invasion Day. 223 years ago, the white man landed on our shores. Subscribe to 3CR and help keep Indigenous voices on air. Call us on 94198377 or visit 3cr.org.au. Subscribe now. And you're back with the Doing Time show. And we're winding down now. It's approximately 10 to 5. And so we're going to have Beyond Zero up very soon, shortly. But we've got about seven minutes left. So in the meantime, I just wanted to announce those last songs. Um, wanted to announce um, Gotta Be Strong by the Rumpy Band and also No Use in Crime by the Rolling Stones and both of them are really good songs. So I'm going to be playing you a song now by Kutcher Edwards and I'll announce that specifically um, later. So uh, stay tuned to listen to Kutcher. And you're back with the Doing Time Show. And we indeed did bring you the song by Kutcher Edwards, and that was called Hope. It's approximately 4.46. We've got about one minute left. Um, the, just wanted to thank our guests, thanking Brent Collins and also Marianne McKay. Thanks to Peter for organising Marianne's interview. And thank you to Rob um, for producing and making the show run smoothly. And the website for the native title is www.pc. .wa.gov.au if you want to have a look at the native title settlement and draw your own conclusions. And indeed, I'm, I'm hoping that things, things go well for, for Marianne and the elders. It's approximately 4.57. We're going to be going out with our theme song now, Black Fella, White Fella, from a rumpy band. And um, stay tuned for next week's show and every Monday from 4 to 5 um, for the Doing Time show.